myself again But it's the only way you're ever gonna learn You look back and it's all in the past Good evening and welcome to NUFC Matters with me, Steve Wraith. It's Thursday night and as always, I'm joined on a Thursday by Supermac and by John Gibson. And uh, what a show tonight, lads. Celebrating England getting to their first final since 1966. And uh, rightly so, they've had some great publicity today on, uh, on across all the news channels and all the papers. And uh, people are walking around with a smile on their face. <clears throat> Seen loads of kids with England tops on. I've got mine on tonight as well. Mal. Amazing, really. Um, it feels it feels like a weight's lifted off our shoulders getting there, but there's still one more job to be done. There certainly is. Um, there, and, and I think that, um, I think in general, the team has done exceedingly well. The, the, all the individual players have done very, very well. Um, the, the person who I found has come out of this in quite remarkable fashion is Gareth Southgate. It's almost as if he was born to be England manager because uh, what he's doing with, Eng with England is, is so totally different to how he appeared at, um, at Middlesbrough as a club manager. Um, mind, I've always said that there are, that, 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 that was the case. You know, Alan Ball, for, for one, he would have been a brilliant England manager. Um, better than much better than he was as a club manager, but uh, I, I've just been um, uh, absolutely thrilled um, just to see the the, the way that uh, the England side are, are just bombing forward um, all the while, and, uh, and and until last night, of course, they, they they kept a complete clean sheet, which which is huge praise on the. Um, on the back line and the goalkeeper. Yeah, John, I mean, it was uh, great as well to see 60,000 fans in the stadium uh, after everything we've been through over the last 15 months. And and home advantage, I did say it last week when we spoke, would probably play a, a big difference. And England needed the, the, the crowd last <laughs> night because... The, the Danes took that that lead and, you know, it was a deserved lead, slightly against the run of play, but deserved in the sense that the, the free kick they took was ex executed brilliantly. And, um, yeah, look, it, the fans, you know, were behind them. The noise was deafening coming through the, the TV, the, the big screen that I was watching. But, um, but yeah, what a, what a night for English football, John. Oh, uh, absolutely magnificent. As, as I mentioned, I think, last week, Steve, I came back home in 1966 to cover Newcastle United and to cover England. And England immediately won the 66 World Cup and Newcastle 69 uh, Fairs Cup. And uh, not a solitary single sausage since for either of them. And that might be going to end on Sunday night. And the atmosphere, without it being a full crowd, was so phenomenal Everybody was so overjoyed after the pandemic, the release of being able to go back and enjoy yourself at a football match and what they were actually seeing, which is huge success for England, game after game after game, was just the perfect antidote. It was the most wonderful uh, experience and we're terribly, terribly grateful for it and perhaps Although Italy are going to be uh, monumental mm. opponents mm. on a 33-game unbeaten run, it's far from straightforward. This is by far the biggest test, including 
Denmark and um, uh, Germany, etc., etc. This is the biggest test. But just to get there and to get there with this squad and the togetherness and the youth of this squad, it reminds me in lots of ways of the squad we saw in 66. You know, in as much as if they win on um, on Sunday night, Kane will become Captain Marvel, which is what Bobby Moore was. Uh, Raheem Sterling will be the finisher and creator that Bobby Charlton was. Um, in lots of ways, Southgate reminds you of Malcolm's first England manager, Alf Ramsey, in the way that he's cool, calm and collected and in front of the public, if not in the dressing room, mm. comes over as very... Um, middle of the road, down the line, deep thinker. Um, Southgate's totally done that. I think he's totally made for international football and not for club football. And if he went back into club football, I think he'd find the rough and tumble in the transfer market, etc., etc., very difficult. He's made perfect for this. Mm -hmm. And even we can go all the way down the line and take in the similarities and say that Graham Jones our representative in all this, who's gone on uh, Southgate's coaching staff, is a reminder of the Northeast coaching influence in 1966 when Howell Shepherdson, who was a coach at Middlesbrough, was Alf Ramsey's right hand man. So, yeah. even to that extent, there's a comparison for Jones. And hasn't Jones burst on the scene this last half a season with the input that he had at Newcastle? after coming in the January towards Newcastle being safe and then going on to England and doing what he did with England. And he used to say, you know, when he was a kid, the greatest thing that he wanted was to be able to play for England. He never reached anything like that standard, although he was a very, very good centre-forward at a certain level, up to Wigan, where he was a phenomenal goal scorer. But he said that he's very much um, a proud Englishman and... The next best thing to being involved with England, he said, was to be involved with uh, Belgium, the national side in Belgium. He is now is involved with uh, England, and England's gone further than Belgium went uh, when he was there. So it's all been a lot of sunshine recently. And let's hope we can go one step more, because however thrilled we are to get where we are, in, in the annals of history... Only winners are remembered. Runners mm -hmm. aren't remembered. We know that. We know that from 1974, from 1976, from 1998, from 1999, when we were all at Wembley finals and didn't win one of them. You've got to win something. And let's hope that England can make that last step. Darren, I think uh, the answer to your question is probably not. Uh, maybe he's the greatest in uh, you know younger people's lifetimes as, as England fans, but those who remember 66 would clearly say that 66 was the greatest night uh, football night that we've ever had. Barry Hogan says, been reading the comments about the England fans' behaviour, trying to blind Schmeichel, booing the Danish anthem, then Kane and Sterling diving at every opportunity. Did we really need to resort to this? It's an interesting point, Barry. Um, yeah, I mean, the laser thing is unacceptable. Uh, 20 arrests, I think, um, you know, for firework, uh, lighting and, and various other things. But booing the national anthem has become something which 
is is almost become um, you know part of the rhetoric. Unfortunately, at, at these England games, I have noticed that. Um, although it does tie in as well with uh, with the booing of the knee. So, look, it's nothing anybody can control. Barry is my answer to that. Um, the diving, though, Malcolm, I'll come to you on that. Yeah. Um, there has been a little bit of diving creeping into this competition. It hasn't just been the likes of uh, Kane, Sterling, and maybe it's Grealish who uh, who've done that, but. They're only doing what other teams are doing to them. And it's got us to the final. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but what, what players are doing is they are when there's when there's a bit of contact, they're just accentuating it. That's all. It's not it's diving is when you're not touched at all. Um, but but when Kane and, and uh, Sterling have gone down, there has been contact. And they're just accentuating it. That if if you want to talk about really diving, watch the Italians on Sunday. <laughs> oh dear me! I'm I'm going to be holding up nine point nine for most of the game, uh, uh, giving them marks out of ten for diving. Yeah, uh, I would I would agree. Immobile John was uh, was probably the person we all remember from the Italians uh, build up to the final, where he was lying on the ground looking completely. Uh, Injured, looked as if a sniper had got him, I think. And then uh, suddenly when they scored a goal, he was up and running to celebrate. That 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 was amazing, wasn't it? I mean, that was hysterical. You've got to, you've got to laugh at that. He was looking as if he was absolutely decapitated and that you were going to have to brush him into a sack and take the sack away. And all of a sudden, it's a goal and he's up and he's having for the corner flag to jump on the scorer. I mean, it, it was... That is part of football these days. As a part of it, we may not like. It's a part of it that is grown into the game. And of course, the one thing where it's got to be said that we used to always say everybody that's a foreigner dives at football, but but by implication we didn't. That's not true. The game is what it is. And as Malcolm quite rightly said. Nine times out of ten, it's not a blatant dive over nothing. It's if they feel they are touched and they're not going to score automatically. If you're touched, you go down because you're, you're, you're liable to get a penalty. But you're, you're touched in the first place. But to go down for very, very simple, simple things these days. And yes, there's an awful lot of it and we can point the finger at each other. But let us just be delighted. That, where we, that we are where we are. And by the way, when we did get the penalty, and was it a sterling penalty or not, wasn't it an awful penalty by Harry Kane? But didn't he, re, didn't he react brilliantly to tuck away the rebound? But that wasn't a Harry Kane-type penalty that was actually taking. It was a poor penalty against a very good goalkeeper, of course, which is what Schmeichel is. Oh, Billy's kicking off the postman's list. I think, I think the dog is, um, it's not taking him outside and blotting him out now, but it's um, that's the second time he's gone missing in England's defence since we started. Malcolm's there getting, I think he's doing a bit of fitness and getting ready for the, getting ready, just in case he gets the call, you see, on Sunday, you know, they might, they might wheel him in. Here he is, he's back for the... Uh... Yeah. Well, yeah, if you've got to remember that Malcolm holds the Wembley record for an England goal scorer, having scored five against Cyprus, 
So it might just be that we need to sneak them on on Sunday night just to finish everything off for us. Well, that's it. Well, when we get to the, we're going to get to the predictions at the end, but let's let's do it now. Let's look ahead to it now. The Italy game on uh, on Sunday, um, and we'll come to your question in a second, Mister Anderson. Um, I'm going to take two bets, lads. I'm going to I'm going to hedge me bets. I'm going to go for a one nil win for for England, and I'm going to take four two. With Harry Kane getting a hat trick, Malcolm. You are. Well, yeah, you've always got to put a daft bet on. And could history right. repeat itself? Could we hear? Could we hear the the commentary on BBC or ITV? Could we hear somebody saying there's some people on the pitch who think it's all over? It is now, and that fourth goal going in. Yeah. <laughs> now it is Fantasy Island. Now we are on Fantasy Island. But yeah. uh, I mean, I'm going to put I a daft bet on. I would settle for the one nil you talked about in the first place. I've got an awful yeah. feeling that it's going to go to extra time again and maybe even penalties. And my daft bet is that England win it on penalties because that's not something that we have heard about an awful lot in the past. But at my daft bet, and it's not as daft as it sounds, is I'm taking England to win on penalties after extra time. Yeah, I... Personally, I, I, I've got the feeling that that the first that scores in the 90 minutes will win. And I can see it being 1-0. Um, but then there's every possibility that nobody will score in those 90 minutes and it will go into extra time. And then, um, and then fitness will count. Now, the Italians are very fit, but I don't think I've ever seen a fitter English side than I'm watching in, in this competition. Um, and even the, um, uh, I was listening to Jan Mulby, uh, who, um, who, who was commenting on the game last night. And he made that very point. He, he said, the Danes are fit. He said, but by heavens, England were much, much, much fitter. Um, and it showed in the last um, half an hour or so. And, and so, um, England will match Italy for fitness, that's for sure, and, and maybe take it a bit further. Uh, we, we've got we've got goals in in a variety of positions, um, and and so if if England can make the chances in the box, then we've got every chance. But it's whether they can make the chances. Um, well, you know, will the Italians just close everything down and uh, um, and and literally close the game up? Um, I don't think they will. I've never seen so many blue shirts in an Italian international as I have in this competition flooding into the box. That certainly every time they attack, they're getting three and four blue shirts. Um, it going into the box and there's always two or three backing up just outside the area uh, it's the most attacking side Italian side that I have seen uh, I think I think ever uh, that they've never got those kind of numbers forward in the past um, so it, it's it, it's a real change of tactics for Italy. They're going totally against um, their grain of the past. Um, but there is just something about this England squad, this England side that's playing. 
um, that they just aren't going to give up. So, I, again, I think it will literally come down to who scores first. Uh, and that puts a, a very big onus on the on the both defences not to concede. And Mr. goalkeepers, of course. Mr. Anderson's just wanting to know, is there a, a, a way that you would take a penalty or is there a, how would you advise on taking a penalty, Malcolm, after the it, pen, penalty miss yesterday? Well, there's, there's no real way that you can advise. that, that There are certain things that you, that, that you must apply. Um, like you've got to get a, an absolute solid strike. You've, um, you know, I, I watch players knocking it down straight into the middle of the goal. Um, banking on the on the keeper having dived um so uh personally i think if you go for top corners that's where the keeper cannot reach no matter what and so uh, my way of taking a penalty it used to be different back then but of course i'm i'm older i'm wiser and uh, well i hope i am um and far more experienced and as I developed and, and um, started taking penalties once I was at Arsenal after I'd left Newcastle, I used to just cra crash them, usually um, to the keeper's left, um, in, into the top corner. And it, there is no way a goalkeeper can get to it. Absolutely no way at all. But it's all very well what you do in, uh, um, in training and... Uh, um, and in league matches, but when you're playing in a World Cup final, by heavens, the pressure is on, uh, and it and it can cause it can cause all, all all kind of foul things to happen to a poor um, penalty taker, as we saw with Kane last night. It was it was the worst penalty I've ever seen him take. But nerves must have been really kicking in. This was a question of of could he put England ahead um, and and when the ball when it's moving it's an it's an entirely different aspect for a centre forward for a goal scorer like Kane but it's when the ball is just sitting there looking at you and it even winks at times you know <laughs> <laughs> and and you've got to you you you've got no movement of ball which you use as a, a um, as a goal scorer um to, to to put curl to put swerve on it to to dip it um uh, uh, and what have you you know it's and it's also terribly instinctive when you're sort of within 12 yards of goal as we so often see harry kane and sterling um and so it just comes naturally but when the ball's just not moving at all you've got to do it. You can't use the movement of, of, of the ball as you as you would do in, in ordinary shooting. Um, uh, and I, all I can say is that that, that I thought um, that Harry Kane he he reacted very quickly. I would think though that um, Schmeichel would have gone into the dressing room at the end and gone and just said to his lads, oh, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry, lads." I would, uh, I, I should have kept hold of the ball, um, but it, it escaped me. Um, and, and he'll be apologising to everybody. Um, but uh, 
Oh, I, my, I've just thought though that, that um, uh, this this Italian goalkeeper is he the tallest goalkeeper ever to have played international football? I you think know? he is. Yeah, yeah, I, I think he's he ginormous, is. isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. His his head's above the bar, I think. Yeah, yeah, well, in in that case, in that case, shoot round his ankles because That's it's the right. wrong way to come down yeah. to get the ball there. Shoot but, round his ankles. <laughs> that, that's right, you see. But all all of the things like this, they're all running through a penalty taker's head as, as he sort of steps back from having placed the ball on the spot, uh, looks at the keeper, and and you know, and if you see somebody who's who's seven foot thirteen. Yeah, you're you're inclined to knock it around his uh, around his ankles. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great stuff on England. Um, let's hope they uh, they get the result in the final on Sunday. Let's mm-hmm. talk Newcastle because we're getting a, a few uh, messages in the chat about uh, Newcastle. And John, we'll come to you, uh, Amanda Staveley. I know neither of you guys have seen the actual TV interviews, uh, but. Uh, you have managed to uh, pick up the transcript, John, and uh, see what you had to say. Were you impressed? Yes, uh, I was, because um, for a start, we've been fed very little, and we know why, uh, <clears throat> from the Premier League or the buyers, because the con confidentiality, etc., etc. But it's gone beyond a joke now for Newcastle United supporters. And for somebody to break ranks and try to explain what the takeover bid is all about, what they hope to bring to the city of Newcastle if the takeover Newcastle was a breath of fresh air. Uh, delighted to see it. Um, I think her and her takeover uh, conspirators and Ashley and Newcastle United are on the last chance saloon um, because this can't drag on any further than the deliberations that's going on now. Where else do you go after this? Um, so it is time to take risks. It's time to explain yourself. It's time to give Jody's hope because we've lived on nothing but fresh air for about 18 months, Steve. Uh, there might be things going on an awful lot beneath the surface. It's like a duck. You go in and, and watch a, a duck. Uh, on the river and it just looks serene on the top and it's paddling like buggery under the surface it's been like that with the takeover but we need to to get things in the open and we need to give us all a little bit of hope because once this euphoria of the UEFA the uh, Euro Championships are over on Sunday we're back to the reality that is Newcastle United which is that uh, a lot of players are back training. We're about to start the pre-season friendlies. In August, in little over a month's time, we're playing the first Premier League game of the season and literally nothing's happened. We need something to hold on. Nothing's happened in the transfer market or with a takeover or anything else. We need some hope and that is a little bit of hope along the way, but we need a lot more because we've got to get this. While we wait for the takeover to be sorted, we can't wait for the start of next season. We've got to do something now to safeguard our position next season that we're not going through a nail-biting thing all the way through till April and May. Um, 
and really what happens now is going to decide whether we're going to be biting our nails or not for the rest of the season um, and so we've got to take uh, care of that and I only hope that once we have the wonderful uh, Euros over we start to seriously look at the Newcastle United situation and that something seriously happens because brother it needs to yeah, yeah. and, and but Personally, I think it, in, in footballing terms, it's got to happen this month. It can't drag into August and September, for heaven's sake. Um, I, I, I know that Mike Ashley has taken action uh, um, against uh, the Premier League and that everything's got to be done on a hush-hush basis. Um, so, so nothing is coming out of either camp, really. Um, but nevertheless... I honestly feel that the Premier League should never, ever, ever um, have, in the first place, had their strings pulled by, um, by in, in the first place, in the first instance, two clubs, Liverpool and Spurs. Um, but they were back then by the two Manchester clubs, Liverpool and, um, and Arsenal. Uh, and for heaven's sake, all of those clubs have at some point been taken over. How dare they seek to stop Newcastle United at a time when they were about to exit the Premier League? And I noticed that the Premier League still have not punished those six for the actions that they took. They've fined them twenty two million pounds, haven't they? Collectively, the six of them have been fined twenty two million pounds, Malcolm. Steve, that's just a tiny, tiny little percentage of of what they get in a, in one season. It's crazy. It's crazy. It, it it is an absolute joke. It it is like fining a millionaire um, three and a half quid. It, it's utterly ridiculous. Uh, um, how does Sheffield Wednesday feel when they when when what what they did um, to to get a twelve point deduction um, was was nothing as damning as um, as just walking away from the Premier League and joining. And joining another group, um, and and Sheffield Wednesday, it affected them so badly the loss of twelve points that in the end they were relegated, and there they are in in the third level this coming season. Um, and yet, what difference has been made to those six clubs by this ridiculous decision of finding them a, a total of twenty-two million? Nothing whatsoever. Nothing. Uh, um, all of them are owned by billionaires. What on earth is 22 million? It's, it sounds a huge amount of money to all of us, but in the realities of, of, of the business world and the football business world in the Premier League, it's an absolute tiny drop in the ocean. And I think that the, I think the Premier League are under the control of those six. I really do. Uh, I, I think that, that that those six clubs are pulling 
all the strings of what's going on. Uh, and, and I fear for the game in this country at the top level. I seriously fear for it. Yeah, me too. A uh, big shout out, as always, to uh, our sponsors. And we're all on board again this month. Spider VPN. Uh, just Google Spider VPN for all your internet protection. Uh, they will be at the top of the Google chase. And they can uh, essentially help you protect your passwords and protect all your other private stuff on your computer. So Google Spider VPN today. And a big shout out to the lads at skipsandbins.com. Telephone 0800 25 Email inquiries at skipsandbins.com. Website www.skipsandbins.com. Easy contract free and pay as you go waste collection also uh shout out sorry steve yeah. just to go interrupt uh, go for it. My, my bin's about three quarters full so uh you're getting uh, there Morgan. you're getting there really maybe about show. 10 or 14 days guys good stuff <laughs> i'll, I'll uh, give you a ring when it's ready big shout out to qtechshop.co.uk as well the makers of pool tables and snooker tables in walls end in newcastle and also helping pull together the uh two buses uh on the way down to london on the 16th uh, which has been organised by Protest Newcastle, uh, basically demanding transparency in our takeover case. So well done to John for putting his time and effort into that. It hasn't gone unnoticed that he's getting trolled a lot these days, but that's what happens when you put your head above the parapet. And a big shout out to John uh, at Jab Signature, as always, for making our flyers. And uh, he has made our flyer for the Fab Four tomorrow. And I thought uh, it was rather rapt. He's done an airplane today. So uh, join me, uh, Steve Hasty, Neil Mitchell and Keith Patterson for a live show at half past five tomorrow. And uh, we will be talking all about England and Newcastle United, I'm sure, tomorrow night. If you're a first-time visitor to the channel, click subscribe by hitting the Newcastle Legends logo in the bottom right-hand corner. Hit the thumb up to like the video and uh, click share to share to your social media. And drop into the comments to speak to like-minded Newcastle fans or to put a question to me and Malcolm and Gibbo on the screen. We're also available on podcast providers such as iTunes and Spotify. Uh, you'll be able to listen to them on uh, your phones when you're out walking the dog. Uh, so plenty of uh, shows to get yourself into then. Uh, let's talk again about Newcastle, uh, Malcolm. And um, confirmation from the club. Uh, we, we know they went back into uh, pre-season pre training. Uh, at the start of the week, we know that the strip is uh, about to be announced tomorrow, uh, the home strip. Um, and we had some contract announcements on uh, Wednesday. We had uh, confirmation that Jacob Murphy, Federico Fernandez, and Dwight Gale have all signed new contracts with the club. And the club also exercised the option of extending the contracts of Paul Dubbers and Fabian Shaw into the 21-22 season. So uh, plenty of information on players staying. Very little on uh, potential players coming in, apart from the usual speculation. Uh, but what was your take on that news, Malcolm? I, my take on it is, it's just going to be same old, same old this this coming season, unless something happens in the immediate future that uh, that can alter it. And and but as long as Mike Ashley is at the club, it is going to be same old, same old. Um, on a shoestring budget, uh, and um, and I, and I'm not so sure about uh, how how good the shoestring is for Steve uh, Bruce. I'm really it, 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 he he must be just shaking his head at times um, because he must never have quite met anything like this 
Uh, he's been managing for what 22, 23 years, and uh, and he's been at much smaller clubs than Newcastle. But I don't think he's ever um, had such financial restraints put on him um, in trying to put a side together. Um, Mutuo and Lejeune, Woodman and Watts all returned, obviously back to Newcastle following their season-long loans, Malcolm. Any of those players, do you think, um, got a future at the club? Um, I, I just find it a wonder that any, that, <laughs> that, um, any players have really signed for, um, for, for Newcastle over the past couple of years because it's, it's heading down a, uh, a very slippery slope uh, and it need that needs to be halted reversed um uh, and things happening and mike ashley has made it quite clear it's never going to happen whilst he's there um so i i, I honestly let, let's let's remember that newcastle they had they had a fair little old run at the end of last season if they hadn't, they they were, um, and prior to that little run that they had, they were in seventeenth place. That's one position outside of of, of the three relegation slots. Um, and and if Newcastle, what because the the clubs that are coming up are spending lots of money, the clubs that are are, are and were around Newcastle, they're spending money. Certainly, they're spending money in the top half of the table. <coughs> Newcastle are standing still, um, treading water, uh, and uh, and they are going to get left behind. And it's going to be an even bigger slog and a struggle next season to what it was this last season. Um, uh, and uh, <sighs> I just wonder what the, the atmosphere in the dressing room is. You know, the players, they must look around and think, oh, come on. You know, every side needs new blood coming in um, to give it. A, a, and you, it, and it gives that, um, it gives all the players a boost. You know, when a new face walks through the door, particularly if he can really play. Um, you know, I, I remember sitting, I, uh, um, sitting in the... Newcastle dressing room and and I hadn't even kicked a ball up to then but uh, Joe Harvey came in and he introduced his new signing and in through the door walked Terry Hibbert and we all just went wow you know you want that kind of a reaction in the dressing room because because the players in that in immediate introduction they just see that things are going upward they um and and it's such a boost um for all the all, all the players that, that uh, they just want to get playing now um to 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 discover as much as they can about this um this new player with a terrific record and uh, and and the newcastle players haven't really had that um so Maximin has he he did it to a degree, um, but it needs more. Joe Harvey, I remember him saying, um, he said, "The minimum I need every season is a hundred thousand. He said I can always boost 
the dressing room and the players inside by, by buying one player for a sum of a hundred grand. And of course, over as the years went on, that that amount it goes up and up and up, um, and we see what the what kind of transfer sums there are these days. No boost is happening for Newcastle players and in the dressing room, not for the manager, not for the coaches, um, no boost whatsoever. Uh, and and I can sense inside that, you know, oh, dear me, here we go again. Oh, my. You know, there's no, um, there's nothing to, to sh just shake off the reverie at, um, at all. A, a takeover would do it. It would certainly do it. Um, but then players will, will start living in a bit of fear, saying, well, I'm, I'm on my way, right? I, I better get me, get things sorted and... Uh, <clears throat> because they'd be bringing in much better than 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 is is already here. That would be very nice for all the supporters, but it but it creates a bit of an edge um, with with the players that are, that are there at the club. I think that it's going to be a, a very nervous um, dressing room um, for quite some time. Yeah, I may would I agree. Steve, Go on, John. We've gone back to what you are when you were on about the new <coughs> contracts that have been signed. Uh, what I find fascinating about that, first and foremost, Rico Fernandez getting a little extension. Yes, he's been brave. He's done well for Newcastle. He's probably been the best central defender we've had. But two of the renewals that have absolutely amazed me is first, Dwight Gale gets a three-year contract that's going to take him up to something like 35-year-old. The manager never, ever starts him. Never mm. starts him. So why the heck are you giving a guy who's been farmed out on loan and only correctly used by Newcastle when they've been in the championship, we retain our status and don't tell me that you're protecting a sell-on situation because they've had plenty of chances to sell them on in the past yeah. you don't have to give them another three-year contract a three-year contract for a striker when we are crying out for goals that's not trusted enough by the manager to start any number of games makes no sense and may i also say that i have been as malcolm has been a great defender and promoter on this program of Jacob Murphy, who did absolutely terrific, mm -hmm. the best crosser of the ball possibly in the club, come in, played wing back when he's not defensively minded as Richie isn't, but made a tremendous fist of it. And I was mm -hmm. advocating, please keep him here. Please give him a new contract. But I'm going to ask you something. A six-year contract, which is what his agent has revealed, is absolutely ludicrous. Have we never learned under Ashley? We have given so many players six-year contracts. Henry Savert, uh, Orlando Harrens, um Lazar, the, the full... We have given people so many six-year contracts and had to try to desperately form them out on loan when they're not going to make it here. Here's a kid who looked a year ago when he come back to Newcastle that he was just going to be sold on 
at Christmas could have been exactly the same, has done brilliantly in the second half of the season, thoroughly deserves a new contract. But six years? Are they kidding me? You know, this isn't quite Dubrovnik or Callum Wilson or even protecting the situation with St. Maximum, Casey Salomon. I'm all for his new contract. I'm thrilled he's staying here. Six years is ludicrous because it also takes away the great incentive of having to do something. You're comfy. You can sit on the six-year contract on your backside as long as you want. And Newcastle can't do anything but pay it up for the next six years. The length yeah. of that contract is ludicrous as the length of the contract for Gale, albeit only three years, but at his age, is equally ludicrous. Thank goodness Murphy's staying. It shouldn't be six years. And Gale, why is he staying when the manager won't start him? Yeah, Malcolm, I, is, is, are these long contracts not just in case they sell these players? I mean, in the hope that... No, no you don't think so? No. No, I don't. Um, I, I, I'm... As John was speaking, I'm trying to make the sense of it in the, in the current situation. And if anything, um, having a load of players on, on very long contracts is going to put buyers off. Because if yeah, that, I mean, a six-year contract, absolutely, Malcolm. Not only yeah. does it put buyers off, not only does it could it make the guy on the six-year contract complacent, but Steve, you don't need a six-year contract to make certain you can sell them on. A three-year contract at the moment would do that and renew it again 18 months into the three-year contract. Absolutely. six-year contract. We went round giving Pardew and the chief scout and everything at the start of the Ashley Rain eight-year contract. What on earth is all this about? This yeah. isn't good footballing sense. This is stupidity. And well, by the way, how many players have we had still at this club over the last few years that we haven't been able to unload because yeah. they've had a big contract that they've just sat on? John, Not that I'm suggesting Murphy would do that. I love Murphy to death. Mm. But it is a stupid, stupid club policy. Yes, it is. And and none of it sanctioned by Steve Bruce, I bet. Um, it because Because that... They're obviously giving contracts to players that, that Bruce just doesn't want around. He's not going to pick uh, um, in the side. We've seen it going on um, all during the past season. Um, so, uh, obviously, there is no communication between Steve Bruce and the people who are actually dealing on the contracts. But at the same time, if, if there's going to be a sale... What you don't want to do is, uh, um, is completely overload the contractual situation with cost that's absolutely risen. Work out what, what Murphy's going to be on. I don't know. What, what would you say Murphy's on um, per week, John? Something in the region of what, 25,000? Yeah, let's, let's yeah. just say that. Well, 25,000, that's 100,000 a month. Um, that's 1.2 million in a year. In, so in six years, just on his basic alone, without anything else, and there'll be a whole load of add-ons, uh, you're looking at Murphy at six and a half million quid. 
uh, and then you start to go through all the others uh, and it's got to be paid. And okay, so that the, the, the club, if it changes hands, manager could come in and say, right, I'm going to try and offload these these people. But the club will will have to probably pay off on part of the contract to, to urge the player to move on. And so you're paying to, to get rid of the players, not looking at the transfer fee that you're bringing in. Um, I, I just find it quite horrendous business. I've, I've never known the like of it. Um, I, I, and I've thought, oh dear me, I've been involved with football now um, for, for, what, 55 years. I have never, ever seen dealings like this going on in a football club. I can't, I can't, I just can't see the sense of it at all. And so having given uh, Dwight Gale a, a new three-year contract, is Steve Bruce going to sit him on the bench? Yeah. For the yeah, that's, the season? that's the big worry, isn't it? Because he didn't bloody play him. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, it's crazy. Yeah. It doesn't make sense at all. It's obvious that Steve Bruce, he doesn't like Dwight Gale as a player. Yeah. So why is somebody else giving him a three-year contract when they've got a manager who isn't going to pick him? Yeah, that but we're ha Malcolm, we're, we're having this all the time, mate, aren't we? We're having it yeah. all the time. They're giving you contract to Matty Longstaff. Matty Longstaff has crosswords with Steve Bruce. The fallout, Matty Longstaff's never seen again in the whole place, and he's sitting on a new contract. And now we're talking about sending them out on loan. And and he is a kid with a heart the size of a frying pan. And I'm not making them out to be the greatest midfielder there's yeah. ever been, but. It is a nonsense, and why keep him? Why keep him out of the clutches of Udinese and give him a new contract? Then not to use him at all. And my information is that he wasn't used at all because he he had a row with Steve Bruce. But one hand doesn't know what the other is doing. You're, you're having one bloke hand out the, the contracts and then you've got a manager picking the team and they don't seem to get together and talk to each other. I mean, a six-year contract has been handed out to Jacob Murphy. I mean, Steve Bruce won't be here in six years' time. So there's been no consultation with Steve Bruce over that. Uh, it is an absolute nonsense. And Barry Hughes asking on screen there if there's any truth in the Will Hughes swap for Isaac Hayden. No, there isn't. Because Newcastle will have, off the record, said they are not getting rid of Isaac Hayden, who was said in the newspapers to be offered in a swap deal for Will Hughes at Watford. And um, that is a non-runner on both sides. They're not interested in Will Hughes and they're certainly not interested in getting rid of uh, Isaac Hayden. Right. Yeah, I mean, that would be disastrous, getting rid of Isaac Hayden. He was one of our better players until he got injured. Um, so, you know, that would be absolutely horrendous. Any news on Willock, John? <laughs> I, I would love him to death You would love him to death Malcolm would love him to death 50,000 people would love him to death And there's not a cat in hell chance of getting him uh, that's, the, that's the news on Joe Willock um, I would love to get Joe Willock um, But 
the bottom line is we know Ashley's not going to give anything like 20 million, 30 million or 14 million to buy him outright at this stage of Ashley's tenureship of Newcastle. Um, so we ain't going to buy him. That is the biggest certainty of all time. Uh, our only hope is that we get him on loan just before the transfer window ends because um, the manager, Arteta, has had a look at the Arsenal situation. He's got a couple of midfield signings in, perhaps, hopefully, and decided that he can send this kid out for another year. Uh, and that is the biggest hope that we've got because we're not going to be able to buy him for serious money. There's absolutely no chance whatsoever of that. And sadly, I don't think he's going to come our way. Uh, I would love him to do that because he, he does what we want forwards to do, i.e. score goals. And this is a midfield guy. Uh, absolutely incredible. We're not going to get a forward that scores per game, the number, of, the ratio of goals he scores. Um, I think it's no hope and bob hope and I would love to see it. We talk about player swaps that we might be able to use. Maybe it's Freddie Woodman, whoever, whoever. How many players have we got that we would want to swap for Willick that Arsenal would want? Well, they want that's, Woodman. That's the question. They, 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 do want, they do want Woodman. Aye. But but do they want him enough to make them do a swap for um, Willick? Willick? I think it'll have to be money. It'll have to be money and Woodman, won't it? I still think there's a deal to be done there. Well, I tell you what, you forecast 4-2 for Sunday night. You're an optimistic boy and I, <laughs> I hope you're right on Sunday night and with Willick. I'm with you, baby. Me real predictions one nil, John. Me 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 uh, winning the lottery. Winning the lottery prediction is four two with Harry Kane to get a hat trick. I mean that's that's dream <laughs> that that's dreamland. Yeah, you're right, but that's going to be me daft best. If that comes in, lads, we'll we'll all get a drink on the nineteenth so, of July. So you 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 are expecting one Harry nil. Kane then to to do the repeat of Jeff Hurst. That's right. Yeah, and people yeah, on the pitch. That's the bet, isn't it? One nil's dreamland. That that dreamland will do for me. One nil's my dreamland. You're quite right, yeah. Steve. That'll do for me. One, One nil. way or the other. Yeah. Our uh, way. No, I don't want it to the way. Our way. Well, I tell you what. Getting back to the England game, just for the last ten minutes. What did you make of uh, Southgate? You, I mean, you rightly praised Southgate Mal at the start, and I, I've said that for me, um, you know, he's been outstanding. And last night. To bring Grealish on, who you know a lot of people feel should be getting a game anyway, but I think he's I think he's got it spot on. We're bringing him on as an impact player. He brings him on to change change things around. England go two one up, and then he has the nous to take him back off, put him on the bench, bring Trippier on, and solidify things at the back That's and right. see the game out. And and you know you saw the players taking the ball into the corners, wasting time, passing it back. Uh, you know. I thought that was a tactical masterclass and showed, for want of a better expression, balls of steel as a manager to go, you're coming off now, son. You've done what I wanted you to do. You're coming off now. And to be fair to Grealish, he took it as he should have done and said, I've took that for the team. Indeed. I, I have been so impressed by the way that Grealish has been accepting of, of all of these... Um, 
uh, uh, being used as a substitute come, uh, um, and being put on fairly late in the game. But he has been an impact player, as you've said, and, and that's how Gareth Southgate is using him. Um, but to put him on, um, the goal is scored, and then to take him off, that's a very rare decision in this game. And I admire Southgate for it. Whether it's his decision or, or one of the coaches has made the suggestion, nevertheless, he was prepared to do it. Um, uh, and, and the art of being a good manager is when you, when you take an extraordinary um, decision um, like that and apply it, that you keep the fella that you're taking off on your side. And Southgate has kept Grealish on his side all the while. I've seen Grealish interviewed and and he's absolutely in fine fettle. He's, he's not becoming frustrated because he's not playing as much as he would like to. Um, so you, you have to take your hat off to Southgate. Um, he's keeping all of his players absolutely on his side and in a frame that you know that whenever they're called upon, you will get the very, very best that they can give. Um, and, and that is truly the art of good management. Yeah, definitely. Barry, Hogg, he's, uh, Barry Hogan, he's asking if we could have a John Gibson transfer roundup section every week, please, John. So, get okay, yeah, uh, as, as we start uh, getting into the... Uh, the, the, the daft season. Uh, well, there won't be much of a roundup in Newcastle, but you might be able yeah. to go to other clubs. Yeah, we'll give you a 30-second <laughs> slot, John. <laughs> please, please, God, please, God, if we've got a roundup when it comes to Newcastle. Because <laughs> I don't want to depress everybody, but I'll tell you what, after Sunday night, all that matters to us Geordies is Newcastle. Up until Sunday night, we also realised that as well as being Geordies, we're Englanders. But after Sunday night, we revert to just being Geordies and we want to know what happens with Newcastle United. Unfortunately, it could be a long, hot, barren summer. Um, but pl please, God, smile on us. Give us the European Championship on Sunday night and give us a Newcastle United signing in the next week. You know what I'm hoping for, Steve, is that if we go back to the start of my career with the Chronicle, the start of my 55 years, and I've mentioned it on this programme, within months of coming back from Fleet Street, England won the 66 World Cup, and three years later, Newcastle United won a European trophy. So England on, and then we've had a barren half century plus since. But England break that mould on on Sunday night and they win a trophy. Does that mean in the next three years, Newcastle United win a trophy? Because like buses, none come along and then two come along together. So perhaps Newcastle, and what they would win we're not stupid, it's not a European trophy or the Premier League trophy, but one of the domestic cups. By the way, that would do for me. I'm not over ambitious. I'll take the FA Cup or the League Cup at Wembley, thank you very much, in, in the next three years. That's lovely. I'll have that. That is fine. So I hope England is going to trigger Newcastle again in 66. England triggered Newcastle and they won a trophy in 69. 
In 2021, England win a trophy in Newcastle, win a one in the next three years. That'll do for me. Pink pigs offline past the window. Thank you very much. That's lovely. John, that'll do for me as well. It really would. Um, and maybe it really could come true if the takeover goes through. Then I can see it. Sure, as a real absolutely. Situation. But. Um, if 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 the takeover goes through, Malcolm, no you're absolutely right. If a takeover goes through, we're absolutely right. We'll win a trophy. If the takeover doesn't go through, we still win a trophy, but it's the Northumberland Senior Cup. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, I've got to say as well, Malcolm, um, just a little a, a little point at something which you might not have picked up on uh, on Twitter, but. Um, GQ magazine uh, this week, Malcolm. Uh, the 11 most stylish England football players ever. Mm -hmm. um, and in the top 11, uh, in no particular order, were Frank Worthington, uh, Jamie Redknapp, mm -hmm. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Sir Bobby Moore, Rio Ferdinand, David Beckham, Stanley Matthews, Kevin Keegan, Glenn Hoddle, and, wait for it, we need a drum roll, lads, but somebody who we actually know on this show quite well, Malcolm MacDonald. No. Are you serious? You're in British GQ magazine, and it says, <laughs> Malcolm MacDonald deserves a place on this list simply because of those lapels. Not only were wide lapels big back in the 1970s, but they've also since had a revival and have been sported by David Gandhi and Gerard Butler. So there you go, Mal. You're in uh, GQ magazine well, this I month never. in the top 11 stylish footballers alongside David Beckham. <laughs> why, why, do you, why do you think that I bought all my gear in the 70s at his shop? That's, that shows yeah. that Gibbo knew what he was doing all those years ago, mate. Absolutely, John, yes. Clark, he loved it, didn't he? Frank Clark. Dear me. He yep. spent more time in, in, in the uh, dressing rooms of the shop than he did on the training ground. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just found it amazing. It's something as highbrow as uh, GQ magazine, which I'm, I'm not sure how many, yeah. of, uh, many of our viewers will probably get or buy or whatever, but uh, it, it appeared. And I'm just going to get the photo up as well. I've managed to uh, obtain the photo that they use in the magazine. And there we go. Mm -hmm. That's it. So those are the lapels that we're talking about, Malcolm. So that's yes. that is that is the picture that they used in the magazine. Uh, Was uh, it put... really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So, so there you go. Very snazzy. So well done, Malcolm. Uh, it's nice to know you're still winning awards at. Uh, you so yeah, you get get yourself a copy of GQ magazine. It must be in there. But that was great. It's on. It's certainly online. Certainly online. Anyway, uh, as always, uh, we ask you to donate to the NUSC fans foodbank.co.uk match day bucket on Sunday for the final. Uh, just keep the money rolling in for the food bank. Uh, that would be greatly appreciated. And uh, don't forget, I am back tomorrow night with the Fab Four. Uh, a live show, 5.30, and Joe Walker, the Toon Tipster, who I know has been in the chat, uh, will be joining us live, hopefully, as long as he doesn't have any technical issues. And uh, happy birthday to Wimbrae Verardi today, uh, one of my first heroes, 
as a as a Newcastle fan, uh, played in that uh, season with Keegan and uh, was involved yeah. in the QPR game when Kevin got his first goal at the Gallagher and the crowd sucked it in. So happy birthday to Imre Vardy. He's now a football agent these days. And, uh, Is he? Good, good he, 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 he did the same move as myself, Luton Town to Newcastle United, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. He's a great lad, uh, Imre, yeah. but um, he's got the same haircut as me now. <laughs> so is Gavin Peacock. So is Gavin Peacock, mate. It's catching. It's catching on. It's catching on, lads. As always, the hours uh, hours flown over. Great to see you two guys. Let's hope England do finally bring it home, and we've got a lot to chat about next Thursday. Have a good week, lads, and enjoy the uh, the final on Sunday. All right. Yes, we could be talking good next best. Thursday. Come on, England. As champions. Come on, England. Yes, indeed. John, we've got to mention your top. Yes, we have. That, uh, this is my first club top with Joe Harvey. It says, Malcolm, the greatest Newcastle United manager. And that's true in terms of winning things. The first yes. club, and I'm president of it, give me this shirt and said, would it? They always watch this so religiously. And they said, Gibbo. Will you wear it on the show? So to Bill Gibbs, Harry Watson and all the guys at the first club, there it is. And it's all about Joe Harvey and what Newcastle have done in the past. Malcolm's old man. Top of the range. Let's win on Sunday. Let's go into next week. Let's buy anybody, somebody, please, God. And let me say what I say every week, Stephen. Newcastle haven't lost a match for ages. So there is a God and there is a sun in the sky. <laughs> See you next week, uh, fellas. The one, well, the one thing I will say is, here's a good look, Roman John. England have never lost a final. Yeah, that's very Aye, true. Because they never get in them. But yeah, yes, but we'll, we'll, I, I, I will I'll, <laughs> I'll settle for that. I mean, and you can <laughs> Come on, you England fellas. Let's have it. It'll do for me. I've waited an awful long time. But I tell you what, I'm not going to be content and I'm not going to retire till Newcastle wins something. So I've got loads of years left yet. England might win something, but I've got loads of years because I'm waiting for the black and whites. That's my utopia. But come on, boys. Let's have it. And then let's get into sorting this Newcastle night out because they really, really matter the most. Look forward to talking next week, guys. Indeed. Take care. Bye-bye. Have a great Cheers, week, everybody. Cheers. Only way you're ever gonna learn your life